Hey, 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 welcome back, everybody, for another week of Scriptures Revealed. I'm excited again. Uh, I'm always excited about the Word of the Lord and what we are learning in the Scriptures and what God is revealing to us out of His Word, because I think it is very important for us to always remember that the power of the Word is the power to transform. It's the power to deliver. The Bible says that it is the gospel of God that is the power of God unto salvation. And so the word of God has power, has supernatural ability in it to change and transform a life. And so I don't care what needs to be changed. I don't care what needs to be rearranged. I don't care what needs to be transformed. Any area of your life, including you as a, as a whole person, if anything ever needs to go through a metamorphosis, then the power of the word, you need the changing agent of the word of God to see that metamorphosis take place. And I am excited that we are all on this journey together, going through this metamorphosis of allowing the word of the Lord to change and transform our lives. And even as we are journeying through the book of Ephesians, we are remembering that the whole intent of the book is to cause us to fall more and more and more in love with Jesus. Because the more I see him, the more I love him. And the more I love him, the more I surrender to him. And then the more I surrender to him, then the more I'm going to gain even a greater revelation of him. And then the more I see him, I'm going to love. So you see that cycle? You see that cycle? You see Jesus. You love Jesus. You surrender to him. That was what happened in the book of, of Matthew, in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, in the book of John, in the book of Acts. Whenever somebody saw Jesus, they could not help but love him. And when they fell in love with him, they could not help but surrender to him. We see it even in the life of the Apostle Paul, who was working against the work of Jesus until he encountered him, until he saw him. And when he did, he fell in love with him. And when he did, he surrendered to him. And when he did, he got a greater revelation of him. Then it caused him to love him more. It caused him to surrender more. So that is the whole intent of what Paul is trying to get out of us in the book of Ephesians. Give us a greater revelation of Jesus. Cause us to fall greater in love with him and and get out of us a greater level of surrender so i am extremely excited about what we are learning now uh we have been in the book of ephesians for about 10 weeks now and we have finally gotten out of chapter one we spent 10 weeks in chapter one and we went through every verse and we went through the words and we allowed the spirit of wisdom and revelation to bring us great insight and so it has been quite a journey and now this week we are going to embark on chapter two now, of course, we're not going to get through the whole chapter uh, uh, today, but we are going to start this journey and we're going to allow the word of the Lord to enlighten us, educate us, encourage us and cause us to see Jesus. So last week we uh, ended chapter one talking about uh, who ascended and that we learned that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and when Jesus Christ went in the grave and then he rose from the dead. It wasn't just about getting Jesus out of the grave. The whole reason that Jesus got on the cross to begin with is because he was taking my place and he was taking your place. So he was on the cross in substitution for us. So that means if, if he's the substitute, that means the cross should have been our cross. That means the grave should have been our grave. That means the punishment he suffered. 
suffered should have been our punishment. That means that when he rose from the grave, it was our resurrection. And when he has been raised up and seated on the right hand of God, that is a part of our being raised, our being seated with him in heavenly places. And at any point in time, we are unfolding the gospel and we miss out on the fact that Jesus's assignment was to be our substitute. Then we're going to miss out on part of the benefits of what God has for us. So you've got to keep that in mind. Every time Jesus suffered for a crime in the kingdom of God, he was our substitute. He was our substitute. And so we learned that that the ascension of Jesus Christ wasn't just about Jesus Christ, but it was about the body of Jesus Christ. It was about the church being raised to a new life. And so with that as the backdrop, we are moving into chapter 2, and Paul continues to build this and unfold this for us. So let's go over to Ephesians 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, that phrase, hath he quickened, this is good old King James I'm using today, is italicized because it wasn't in the original Greek. That's not how the scripture actually reads. What the scripture actually says is that you who were dead in trespasses and sin. You who were dead and so so Paul is further showing us why we had a part to play. uh, We have a part to experience in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, you guys, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which means you had no life. You lacked life. You had no ability to respond to the promptings of God. You were not sensitive to the dealings of God. You were dead. Let me let me give you uh, insight about the word death. Another word for the word death means to be separated. Simple as that. It just simply means to be separated. So if I say somebody is spiritually dead, then I'm saying that that person's spirit has been separated from God. If somebody is physically dead, then I'm saying that that person has been separated from their body. All right. Because remember, we are three parts. We are a spirit. We have a soul and we live inside of a body. So the body is not you. You are a spirit being. That's why the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that God is the father of spirits. God is the father of spirits. So God is not the God of the white man. He's not the God of the black man because all we're doing is we're trying to make God the the God of our houses. God is the creator of our houses, but he's the father of our spirits. All right. Say that to you again. God is the creator of our houses, but he is the father of our spirits. So you are spirit. You have a soul. You live inside of a body. So when you physically die, it just means you separate from the body. When you are uh, uh, spiritually dead, it means your spirit man is separated from God. Death is a separation. Death is a separation. And he was saying, Paul says in uh, verse 1 here, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which means you were separated from God and you chose to live in your trespasses and you chose to live in your crimes against the kingdom of God. I know we like to blame the fact that uh, we're only sinners because of the fall of Adam. Well, that is true. By nature, we are sinners because of the fall of Adam. But let's not act like that we didn't add to the list of crimes that Adam committed. Yes, Adam committed crimes. Yes, Adam did wrong things. But all of us have added to our rap sheet. All of us have added to our list of crimes against the kingdom of God. And we chose those things over God. 
And so Paul is saying, you all were dead. I mean, just flat out dead, separated. You were a dead corpse when it comes to the things of God and you lack life. And then he goes on and says, wherein in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world. He said, you all were so dead. You all were so separated from God. You all were so wrapped up in your crimes. You, I mean, you were so wrapped up in violating the law of God that you ended up dead. You ended up dead, and in time past, you walked or you lived according to the course of this world. Watch this, because it's going to uh, give you insight here. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of obedience, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, let me help you understand something, and I'm going to try not to go on a tangent here, because that that verse is so loaded with things about demonic forces, about the the jurisdiction of demonic forces. Notice here it says that the prince of the power of the air uh, was also um, the one setting the course of this world. Okay, and it's also the spirit that now works in the children of obedience. Now, as not to go on a tangent, I want us to understand the concept of worlds. When you read the Bible, you're going to always find these these words are going to be interesting words when you are reading your scriptures. You need to pay attention to the uh, word world, to the word ages, to the word generations. Say that to you again. Pay attention to the word world to the word ages, and to the word generations, because they're going to give you insight to the civilization of God. God is not out here watching the world unfold as if it is his first time seeing it happen. Nope, God has already seen the end from the beginning, and yet, watch this, look at the, the awesomeness and the vastness of God. God. The Bible says that God has seen the end from the beginning because he is Alpha and he is Omega, and yet he lives in eternity. So which means to us there is no end, and yet God is standing in the end. See, we think the end is revelation when actually that's not the end. It's, it's the beginning of a of a new world. It's the beginning of a new age. It's the beginning of a new generation called the generation of Jesus Christ, actually. But we're not going to go down that, that far. But what I want us to pay attention to is the fact that the God is so mighty that he is standing at the end of a thing that we will never see because eternity has no end. And yet the Bible says God is Omega. I mean, let that sink in. We're talking about the vastness and the mightiness and, 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 the, and the awesomeness of our God that he has the ability to stand at the end of a thing we will never meet. We will never meet because he's also eternal and he also lives in eternity. And the whole concept of eternity is that eternity has no beginning and it has no end. It is just forever and ever and ever. Another phrase for it that we're going to learn in Ephesians 3 is a world without end. It is everlasting. It is forever and ever and ever. And yet God's the Alpha and Omega. I mean, that is just one of those mind-blowing things. So he says here, according that you walk according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Now, when you read the scriptures and you uh, do background study of Old Testament scriptures and you go through, you're going to learn that Paul was very well educated and versed in uh, Jewish beliefs, Jewish customs, Jewish traditions. Uh, he was a well-learned man and a well-studied man. And one of the things that the Jews taught and believed 
was the the different uh, levels of the atmosphere. So they believed that you had the air, that there was a lower air where demonic forces operated in. Uh, We like to call them the second heaven. So uh, that's where demonic forces operated in. And then you had the third heaven, which is where the Lord God Almighty uh, lives and his throne, the Bible says, sits in the north of the of the third heaven. So here we have that he is. This is the prince of the power of the air. Now, this is a particular type of demonic force. What this actually says in the Greek is that according to the chief over the jurisdiction of the air, this this demonic force here. Watch this. Why is this important? Because Paul is saying this is the, the chief operating demonic force that controlled and set the course of your world. He set the course of your world when you were dead. What was the name of this demonic force that set the course of the dead? All right. What is the name of this demonic force that set the course for the dead? Because these are dead men. These are dead men that Paul is talking about. And yet this demonic force is leading, directing dead men in their own world. And this demonic force is called the prince of the power of the air. Now, let me help you understand something here about the prince of the power of the air. Let's go over to uh, Mark chapter 4. Hold your finger there because Jesus identifies for us these demonic powers. But let's go over to Mark chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine. So this is a part, pay attention, this is a part of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow, And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it. I want you to pay attention to that. Jesus is teaching the parable of the sower. Jesus is teaching the parable of the sower. And in his parable, he talks about the fowls of the air. You know what? If you do a word study, you're going to find out that the fowls of the air are very much so connected to the prince of the power of the air. That the prince of the power of the air was ruling over these demonic spirits that Jesus called fowls of the air. These are demonic forces of the air. The prince of the air is the one that's controlling the dead men, the dead men that are dead in their trespasses and sin. So what are these fowls of the air? What is this prince of the power of the air? We're going to learn. Look at verse 14. The sower sows the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Here we have insight. Uh, I love uh, Matthew's uh, version of this is that he gives us great insight that the reason why Satan is able to come and take the word is because the people didn't press into understanding. And when you lack understanding, then you open yourself up to a species of demons because pay attention here satan comes and he steals the word he takes the word that was sown in their hearts so the prince of the power of the air rules over the jurisdiction of of demons that jesus identifies as fowls of the air and these particular demonic forces their whole assignment is to eat the seed of the word in your heart 
Pay attention to that. The whole, their whole assignment of this, there is a species of devils, a species of demons whose whole assignment is to eat the word in your heart that you do not understand. To eat it. Eat it. You don't understand it. You don't have clarity on it. So they eat that word. There are, and those spirits are called fowls of the air. Jesus lays that out for us. Okay. How do I know that these spirits are eating the word? Well, Jesus said it, number one. But two, we find out in 2 Corinthians. How is, you know, the scriptures like to interpret themselves. They do a very good job at it. So look at, you hear my pages turning, but look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So watch this. Paul says, The, the God of this world, remember we talked about the prince of the power there. So the God of this world is blinding people's minds so that they can't believe the gospel. How is the God of this world blinding the minds of people so that they stay dead men? How is that happening? Is that the God of this world is using the prince of the power of the air He's using, he's employing that prince to employ the fowls of the air to eat the seed of the word. Because if the word never produces in you, if the word does not break through the callousness of your heart, if the word it does not get planted in your heart, you're never going to see the light of the gospel. And that is what Paul unveils for us in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, where in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. It is the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. He says this thing, these demonic forces that are, are assigned to eat the word so that it, it never bears fruit in your life and never opens your light. It never causes you to see the gospel. It never causes you to believe the gospel. It doesn't cause you to move into the power of the gospel. It says these demonic forces are eating that word and it is the same spirit. These spirits are is what is working in the children of disobedience or the children of, of those who refuse to respond to the word. You know, you have people who just they just refuse to respond. They refuse to respond to the word of God. That is a demonic force. That is a demonic spirit. And that spirit is eating the word that is sown in their hearts. It's just like no matter what you say, no matter what you teach them, no matter how you show them in the scriptures, no matter how you use the mirror of the word to show them themselves, it's like they are blind to it. It is because... The, the prince of the power of the air is imploring the fowls of the air to eat the word in their heart. So the word never gets planted. The word never gets watered. The word never gets understood. The word never gets comprehended. So then the word never produces light. You get that? If the word never gets planted in the heart and it never gets watered and it never gets comprehended and it never gets understood, then the word's job is to ultimately produce light. That's why the Bible says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's why in the, uh, in the beginning when God, uh, when you go over even to the book of uh, the gospel of John, when he is unfolding to us, the uh, Jesus coming into the earth, he says, 
that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and that in him or in the word was life and that life was the light of man and light shines in the darkness. So the, the job of the word is to produce light, but it's not going to produce light when there are demons, demon spirits that are eating at the word sown in your heart. So the greatest war tactic that Jesus reveals to us in the book of Matthew is we've got to get people to understand we've got to first break the powers of hell and the powers of those demon spirits that eat at the word sown in people's hearts. Once you break that power, your next step is to get people to get understanding. Understanding is a war tool. If you want to make a war move for the kingdom of God, then get people to understand. All right. So that is what Paul unlocks for us in verse two. He said, that's what you all did. You walked according to that. Verse three says, among whom also we all had our conversation or we all had our behavior. We all had our, our lifestyle in times past in the lusts of the flesh. And watch this, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath were at, even as others. Watch this. Paul says, hey, you know your past lifestyle? You walked according to the lust of your flesh and fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of your mind. Now, Paul also gives us insight about this, that when you get born again, you should not be living a lifestyle in response to the lust or the desires of your flesh or the will of your flesh. Your flesh has a will. Your flesh has a will. Now, what is the flesh? I like to make things very simple. Because the flesh sounds like a very church term, very uh, religious term that people use. It's just your flesh, your flesh. Your flesh is simply your human nature apart from God. That's what it is. It's your human nature apart from God. So if you're walking in the flesh, you're walking in your human nature that's been separated from God. Because when you get born again, God does not rebirth your human nature. Listen to me. God does not rebirth your human nature. He doesn't save your human nature. God doesn't save the flesh. He doesn't rebirth the flesh. What he gives you is a new nature. He gives you a new nature called the righteousness of God. That's what he does. And so what happens is God imparts into you a new nature. But what's still there is the flesh. It's still the human nature is still there that has to be crucified. Paul shows us that that the the flesh has to be crucified. You have to put it to death. And what what it, what what do we talk about? Remember, death is simply separation. So if you're going to crucify the flesh, you're going to put it to death. You've got to separate yourself from the lust, from the desires, from the will, from the passions, from the impulses of the flesh, from the dictates of that human nature, which means when you crucify the flesh, all it means is separate yourself from it. If the, if the flesh desires to do this, separate yourself from that desire. Say, no, I'm, I, that's not a part of me anymore. The flesh wants to do this. The flesh wants to fornicate. The flesh wants to lie. The, the flesh, and, and, and then Paul gives us a list of, of the lust of the flesh in, in Galatians. So when you're crucifying the flesh, what you're doing is separating yourself. 
you're separating yourself from from drunkenness and witchcraft and idolatry and heresy and strife and wrath and hatred and and uh, envies and murders and and all of that. You are separating yourself from that, and because the more you separate yourself from that, you are crucifying the flesh you are putting it to death you are separating yourself from it and so paul says you know that is the type of lifestyle that you all used to live you used to live that way you used to live that way the power of the gospel is that you don't have to live that way anymore you don't have to live restricted by the dictates of your human nature apart from god he said that's what you were but i love verse four It says, but God, this is why I'm calling this. This is the gospel to dead men. Paul says, you guys were dead. You guys were a corpse. You guys were were in the grave, but you were ruled by demonic forces that just ate the word so that the word never produced in your life. But there is a God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. You know what that means? That phrase for, but God who is rich in mercy, it means God, but God who is rich in mercy in order to satisfy his love for us. In order to satisfy his love for us, he was rich in mercy. In other words, he was fully resourced in mercy. You know what this word mercy is? This word mercy is a governmental term. And it, and what we would understand it in, in our English American language is clemency. Is that clemency? And there are three types of clemency that our government has available to us. But the one that God uses is what we know as pardon is that he totally wipes it up. He doesn't lessen the sentence. He doesn't lessen the punishment of the crime. He doesn't give you um, just more time to repent. He, he does all of that. He gives you more time to repent. He will lessen crimes for you. But then he not only does that, but this he pardons. He totally wipes it away. And the reason why he wiped it away was so that he could satisfy his love for you. So you know why you were dead? Because you were a criminal in the kingdom of God. You were a criminal in the kingdom of God. But the reason why you have hope and the reason why you have a life and the reason why you have possibility is because God wanted to satisfy his love towards us. Now, how did he satisfy it? Verse five, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved by grace ye are saved i want us to look at that beautiful response to the love of god god says i'm i so am passionately in love with you that i have come to give you good news and the good news is i'm going to satisfy my love i'm going to satisfy my love and i'm going to raise you from the dead get out of that grave Get out of the, the pit. Get out of that prison cell. You no longer have to live bound. You no longer have to stay in those cycles. You no longer have to stay bound by the generational curses and the curses of your bloodline and the curses attached to your last name. No, I'm going to I love you. I love, God says I love you. And the way I'm going to satisfy my love for you is that I'm going to raise you from the dead. Uh, even though you were dead, I'm going to quicken you. I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to infuse you with life. I'm going to deliver you from those demonic forces 
that eat at the word. I'm going to deliver you from the blindness that these demonic forces have put over you. I'm going to deliver you from living your life according to the dictates and the desires of your flesh and the desires of what your mind wanders off to. I'm going to deliver you from stubbornness and disobedience and my wrath. I'm going to do it because I love you. Not because you were good enough. Not because you deserved it. Not because you finally earned it. Not because I like the way you walk or I like the way you look. No, I'm going to do it for no other reason than I'm just satisfying my love for you. That, my friend, is the gospel to dead men. That is the gospel to dead men. That God loves you so he's about to raise you from the dead. My God. My, I'm trying not to have a fit. <laughs> but I'm telling you, God loves you so much that he wanted to raise you from the dead. He wants to raise you from the dead. He wants to quicken you with life and not just any life. He wants to quicken you with his life, infuse you with his life so that you can be all that God has intended for his beloved to be. Well, guys, again, I am out of time already this week, and uh, I am so excited about what we're going to continue to learn and unfold in the book of Ephesians. Thank you all for tuning in this week. Look out for the next episode next week, and we're going to continue our journey through chapter two, continue our journey through learning how God satisfies his love towards us. Don't forget to share this podcast so that people can hear the gospel, so that other dead men can be raised from the dead and can experience new life with the Lord Jesus. Christ. So share this. Uh, Don't forget to leave your ratings on iTunes. Don't forget to uh, tell somebody how the word of the Lord is changing and transforming your life because you are going through a metamorphosis for no other reason than the mere fact that the scriptures are being revealed to you. See you all next week. Love you.